Praise the Lord, all you sea monsters, you creeping things, you flying birds, <laughs> our call to worship each of these three Sundays is going to be coming from Psalm 148, where ecology and doxology, the praise of God, are integrated. And this psalm teaches us that the care, care for the earth is to preserve its praise and worship of God. Let me say that again. We are taught that the care for the earth, to care for the earth is to preserve its praise and worship of God. I first experienced a little bit of this reality back in 1997 in a story that some of you have heard before, when two Baltimore Orioles landed in a tree next to me in Carlisle. And I'm so thrilled that Lois, my mother-in-law, can be with us because it was in her tree. That day, I don't know what came over me, but for the first time, I was completely dazzled by their orange splendor and their flute-like song. And I now regard it, you're going to say I'm an odd bird, but I now regard it as one of the most significant spiritual experiences of my life. Why do I say that? <laughs> That's true, I'm not a bird. I say this because it was my doorway into new understanding, new growth, new comprehension. Orioles became my doorway in beginning to notice birds, believe it or not, for the first time. And suddenly I started seeing birds everywhere I was where previously I had not. Have you had that kind of experience? I began to be intrigued by their amazing migratory patterns all across the planet. In fact, every spring I now go to County Park, Park to wait for their arrival. And it happens during the very same week in May every year. And there's a picture over here taken of one of those Orioles. You see, all of this becomes a doorway for me into deeper gratitude and wonder toward their and our Creator. Marveling how these birds travel 2,000 miles from the forests all the way down in Central America, all the way up here to Lancaster, and arrive in the same window of two or three days every single year. You see, friends, all of creation, every part, as well as the whole, is our doorway into the lavish love of God. So friends, I want to ask you this morning, what is your doorway? Into wonder and worship of God. 
Maybe through gardening or stargazing, photography, biking, hiking, walking. We all need some way of connecting to God through creation. It's vital. Because ever since the beginning of time, Scripture tells us the love of God has been intuited and experienced through the things that God has made. Romans 1, verse 20. And bird watching for me has been my own unique doorway into waking up to the ecological crisis that we face. Why do I say this? You see, birds are called, I didn't know this when I got into it, but birds are called an indicator species. They are the proverbial canary in the coal mine. Acutely sensitive barometers that are today warning us that our ecosystem is unraveling. I don't know if you saw it in the paper, but last month, a major, major story came out. A study revealing what many of us have long been suspecting. That there are many, many fewer birds today than when we were kids. Any of you had that feeling? Like, where are they going? What's happening? In fact, North America in the last 50 years has lost 3 billion of its birds. That's a decline of 30%. And this one kills me. Half of all Orioles have disappeared. They're gone. And so, from a faith perspective, we have to ask, is a day coming when the dawn chorus of chickadees and cardinals of all of our feathered friends will go silent? When their praise of God will be no more? Sadly, the voices that we hear from creation these days are not voices of praise, but of distress. As we hear in Romans 8, all of creation seems to be groaning. You know, everywhere we look, we see God's creation under relentless attack from us. Our burning of fossil fuels is raising the Earth's temperature, melting our polar ice caps, raising sea levels, and changing our climate. Our extraction of the Earth's resources without a thought to their replenishment is causing fish populations to collapse and animal species to vanish. As I speak here, Loggers and beef ranchers are burning down the forests of the Amazon. And I found it so instructive 
this last week to learn that the forests of the Amazon are the lungs of this planet. Doing the reverse of what our lungs do. Taking in carbon dioxide. Help me out, scientists, if I'm getting this right. Breathing out, exhaling precious oxygen for the planet. Instead of doing this, they're burning and burning and burning. Now I know, I know, I know, sitting here in Lancaster after what had to be the most beautiful week we've had, I mean, man, isn't it, isn't it tempting to just want to think that all of this is just fake news? I mean, can't we just keep on enjoying life, beautiful life that we have here in the county? But the problem is, dear friends, that va- is this. Vast climate changes have already been set in motion that can no longer be prevented. All we can do is decrease their severity. Did you hear me? They're coming. Even, this has been giving me a headache and a heartache all week. Even if carbon emissions end today, a 15 or 20 foot rise in sea level rise is probably still inevitable. Did you hear that? 15 or 20 feet. What we need, the reason that we need to act now is so that we can avoid a catastrophic rise of 100 feet. That's what's at stake. Now maybe you're saying, why on earth did I pull myself out of bed this morning to hear this? I mean, come on, preacher. A sermon is not a lecture. Much less a very depressing one. What is anything... What does this have to do with our faith? What does this have to do with following Jesus, you may be asking? And dear friends, I think it has everything to do with our faith. Everything to do with following Jesus. Because we've already seen that the natural world is our precious doorway into our Creator's love. And that care for the earth is to preserve its praise of God. I mean, remember that Jesus said that not a single sparrow or oriole drops to the earth without our Creator knowing it. And following Jesus also means sharing His tender concern for the world's poor, the very least of these. Remember in Hebrew, we learned a word three weeks ago. What is it for the least of these? The anawim. Let's say that together. Anawim. The little ones. The anawim. They, they're the folks who are already suffering the most from extreme weather. Some of you know this intimately from your work. Even though they've done the very least to cause it, 
And even though they have the fewest resources, in contrast to us, to do anything about it. Crop collapse. Drought is a major factor in all of these growing waves of refugees moving across the globe from the Middle East into Europe, from Central America northward toward our border. And even worse, climate change is going to intensify and amplify every form of injustice discrimination and disadvantage and racism that they are experiencing. Even the Pentagon is now saying that climate change will increasingly become a threat multiplier and a catalyst for conflict around the world. Even the Pentagon. So friends, Scripture tells us that the earth is the Lord's and has been entrusted into our keeping and care. But instead, we've sacrificed it on the altar of economic growth, endless consumption, and unchecked greed. And prophets like Greta Thunberg I listened to YouTube. It's actually, her name is Greta Thunberg, actually, but Greta Thunberg, the 16 year old Swedish environmental advocate and activist who's on the cover of our bulletin today, is crying out and telling us. I'm going to say a little bit more about her a bit later, but she's telling us that our going down the path of business as usual will lead our human family only to one thing, to extinction. And friends, if that's the case, as people of faith, how can we be talking and praying and thinking about anything else? Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann says that in times of crisis, the first thing we need to do is to come before God to confess our sin, our fears, and our tears of lament. So let's just do that right now. Let's break away from the sermon and enter into a time of silent prayer before God. Our loving Creator, we confess our sin and our complicity in all the consumption and greed that are ravaging our planet and our common home.
we confess to you our desire to deny that any of this is really happening. We confess that when we hear these things, we feel completely overwhelmed, numb, full of fear. And God, we confess that we don't just need technological solutions, but we need a baptism of tears. And in the quiet now, hear our silent prayers of repentance. Dear God, please do not leave us to face our climate perils alone. We need your forgiveness, your saving power. We need your hope. And as you did through the cross of Jesus, we need you yet again to draw good from evil so wisely and so beautifully. Amen. I hope by now we're all getting the sense that are all going home today and doing just a little bit of more recycling is not going to cut it. Friends, our human family needs to fundamentally change where we get our energy from. How much we consume and what we eat. 15% of global warming comes from our appetite for beef. On a deeper level, our human family needs to transition out of an economic model of constant economic growth into one of sustainability and equity. And for us as the followers of Jesus, I believe this is where things get really exciting. Because to survive, I mean, think about this. For us to survive as a human family, the whole human family is going to have to start living more in sync with the kingdom values, the beloved community that Jesus taught and modeled for us. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, sharing instead of hoarding. Earth keeping instead of extraction. Balance instead of addiction. 
Neighborliness. Neighborliness. Instead of building walls. In our reading today, a lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And it sounds rather snarky and self-justifying from the mouth of this fellow, but I believe it's actually a question that Jesus wants us never to stop asking. Who is my neighbor? This is because it puts us on a lifelong path that leads ever more into our interrelatedness and interconnection as people and creatures. After all, did you hear in 1 Colossians 1.20 that it says that through Jesus, God was reconciling all things. Did you catch that? I take that to mean elephants and Orioles and even us humans to God. Maybe I'm going out on a limb. I feel like I am with you. All things. All things, not just us. Now, I don't know what it means for an elephant to be reconciled to God. But I want to ponder that. If there is one gift from climate change, dare I say there are any gifts, it is that it is teaching us, finally, that we are all in this together. Nothing shouts interdependence like climate change. My polluting impacts you. Your burning down a forest impacts me. By God's design, we've all been woven together, Martin Luther King said, into an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Turning back climate change is going to require all of us to work together in large-scale collective action. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, that's never going to happen, preacher. But, you know, just one year ago, Greta Thunberg was waging her climate strike in front of the Swedish parliament every Friday alone. Just a year ago, she was alone. And you can see that's the picture of her alone in front of the parliament on your bulletin. But a year ago, but a year later, a million people, mostly young people, and this is coming from the emerging generations, have been rallying in climate strikes. Why can't a billion rally next year? Let me close. It's been said that we must first imagine our future before we can implement it. We must have a visual picture of where we're going. So let me close with a little bit of imagining 
for East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. Imagine our church with a rooftop of solar panels powering our many charging stations below, not just two. Imagine our city neighbors starting to call us the Green Church, because East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church doesn't roll off the tongue. So they call us the Green Church because we've planted so many trees across the city, especially here on the east side, which lacks trees. Imagine our church becoming a leading champion for change, local change, holding vigils every Friday afternoon in Penn Square and calling for our county to reach carbon neutrality by 2030. Not my idea. Eric's idea, and others. Imagine. Imagine a church sustained in hope because of our deep connection to God through prayer. I had to get that in. Imagine a church where we're bringing each of our little flickering candles together to shine so much more brightly with the collective light of Christ. A light that no darkness can ever overcome. Amen.